0: Hi, you're listening to Everyday Impact, a Lifetree podcast inspiring you to take Jesus into your everyday life. My name is Will, and we've got a special guest host today, Caleb Friesen. Hello. Caleb's going to be sharing with us a conversation that he had with Stacy Taves. Caleb, tell us a bit about what we're going to be listening to today. Yeah, I had fun sitting
1: down with Stacy. He's a guy who here in the Life Tree community, a lot of us have heard from because he preaches from time to time, but it was really cool to sit down and get to hone in on some of the key moments of his journey of how God has led him um, really from a significant moment when he was 21 up to today's, the stuff he's done and everything in between. And what I'd encourage you to listen for as you hear this conversation is just this simple idea of taking one step after another, moving forward, and pay attention to how the Spirit might actually be nudging you forward in your own journey as you listen to this conversation.
0: Hmm. I can't say that I want to be stuck, so hopefully there's something (laughs) to, to take away from his experience. Let's take a listen.
1: All right. So sitting here today with Stacy Taves. Stacy, I've been looking forward to us having this conversation together. So thanks for being here.
2: I'm excited. Caleb, you're a bright light in my life. It's good to chat.
1: Well, lots of our listeners probably know who you are, but for... For those of you out there who don't, Stacy's a member of our community. He's a great communicator, preaches here from time to time. He's an amazing father. He's one of the founders of a great company called Level Ground Trading. He's got a YouTube channel going called Sustainable Stace. We could keep listing things you're up to. But Stacey, why don't you, in your own words, just tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in?
2: Oh, I think especially in the last year, I've started to realize at a new level just how much I appreciate the community that we're both part of. At Lifetree, um, the caliber of the humans I get to interact with, and a lot of it's more virtual than face-to-face than it once was, but so exciting. I, I really get excited about being in a relationship. Almost every morning of the week, I start off either running or walking with someone, a mix of people who love Jesus and don't yet know him to love him. and um, I just take incredible joy from being physically active and being in growing relationships with other people and um trying to build family and business and neighbor friendships, kind of all working in that regard.
1: Mm. It's good. One one of the things that I hear you talking about that I've said to you before that I really see on you as this intentionality with which you live. So even you sharing your love for these relationships and how you start your day shows that. Um, we, could, we can look at that in your business. Uh, we can look in that in what you're doing with your own, like growing food at your own house, things you've told me about relationships with your kids and how you spend time with them, on and on it goes. I think one of the things for me when I think about you, I see all these amazing achievements that we could list One of the things we're hoping we could do today is maybe lift the hood, so to speak, and see what's under there that makes up, Stacey, who you are and how you tick and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just looking forward to diving into that. One of the things we were talking about before we started recording today of maybe earlier years in your life was this trip to the Philippines that you took that had a big impact on you. And I was hoping maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that season of your life and how God used it in your formation and your journey and following him into where you are today.
2: I can't overstate how powerful it's been in my life to have parents who speak life into me. Uh, Even this morning, I was finishing up a prayer and walk with a friend, and I really felt convicted to even stop walking home right where I was and spend time just crafting a text to both my parents as they started the day to say how much I have valued the way they had chosen the economy of God in their life. Um, So powerful to see people putting God first and living it out in how they love people and how they value people. And I saw them often raise one eyebrow at choices or directions I was going, not because they were in disagreement, but like, hmm, that's unique. And then there'd be this like, go for it, son. And I've always had that kind of life being breathed into me that they believed I could accomplish things and they would encourage me in the Lord to be strong in my faith. And um, it was no different when I got this opportunity back in my early 20s, freshly graduated from Bible college with a theology degree, to go volunteer for a year in the Philippines. I'd never been in a country that had poverty in it in this way. Right. I had volunteered in poor areas of larger cities in Canada, and I'd volunteered in a prison and been in places where I guess life was rougher than you know the normal neighborhoods I'd grown up in Western Canada. But from the day I landed in the Philippines and met the people who were taking me to the place where I would live, at least for the start of the year, because I mixed that up a few times to be closer to people who were kind of on the edges. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just this complete mind-blowing experience where all the things I'd learned in Bible college were going to come face to face with God's kingdom and his church and his will here and now. And man, theory got blasted pretty quickly (laughs) when I'd be, you know just walking to university classes in the morning and find myself breaking into tears because Mm. children who were five or six years old didn't have breakfast or a home and they'd be begging like I can't go to class I've got to feed you let's go find a restaurant let's book out the back of the whole restaurant let's get all your friends hey let's have breakfast for 30 kids oh I missed class today (laughs) but there was all these new changes and I find myself when I think about living in the Philippines, it's probably the only season in my life where my journaling experience started to take the form of almost writing oaths. I was like making these life commitments as a 21-year-old of what I was gonna do with my life because of how I'd experienced and seen what others were living with. I always felt like I was kind of cheating the situation because I had a return ticket home. Mm. You know, and you can feel like a little bit of a hero showing up in someone's space and wanting to help them out. But as long as you've got a return ticket home, you're basically saying that your allegiance isn't there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it speaks a lot to foreigners and aliens, which is what Peter calls us here on earth as believers and followers of Jesus. But it was really, in the most beautiful way, an upsetting time in my life that required me to rethink why I was here and what
1: following Jesus would look like. That's good. There's two two things I want to ask you. One yeah. of them is going to be what were some of the feelings, the emotions you remember having as you came face to face with this reality, like you said, that blasted your theory? So, what were some of the feelings and what were some of those oaths?
2: I don't, I think my limited life experience and exposure. To what so many people live with and experience every day in the way of poverty or loneliness. I didn't have a grid that allowed for those life experiences I was witnessing to have a place. Mm. There was just so much that wasn't okay inside me because of what I saw not resolved in other people's lives. They were so far from being settled or well. You know, a little kid who should be in preschool and be loved and fed on the street without clothing, begging, and the best they're getting is sniffing glue and stealing a bun from a bakery. That was so shocking and overwhelming for me. There was just this constant compulsion because I was coming in for a day as a backpacker. I was walking the same streets each morning, each afternoon, going to and from a university campus and going about my day with different people I was meeting who were peers to me but there was just this continual, these are the people who live on the street. And so to make a practice of each time sitting down and each time being emotionally wrecked and realizing I'm not recovering from this and I'm not supposed to, how do I stay sensitive and warm? And I was already within a few months starting to feel guilty about the return ticket because I knew I was leaving and I felt like I was a lifeline for some of those people who I was feeding every day. And and so the feeling of being helpless and mm-hmm. also the feeling of you're not, but it may not seem to be enough, but it's something, right? And so in terms of an oath, the, the biggie for me was writing in my journal that I was resolved that I would return to Canada, find someone to marry who was committed to adopting orphans and that we would get married and build a family.
1: Wow. Yeah. I hear when you describe... I think you stumped to the effect of like, how can I be okay if they're not, you know? And very much you allowed other people's problems to become your problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In in not in that unhealthy way, but in that like, hey, these these people matter, what can I do? Um, and that oath of like, we're gonna adopt orphans, we're gonna build a family is huge. So tell us about that. How did that adoption process go? Because obviously I know you've adopted three children who are now almost all grown up. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, oldest one's 25. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Like so much God, right? Yeah. That was totally his heart. We we know that he, he says in his word that he puts the widows and the orphans in families. The question to all of us then is whose families does he put them in? I was even on my morning walk this morning with a friend talking about, you know, we asked for God to provide for someone in crisis, and we might presume it's a manna from heaven miraculous event, but how often is it God saying, oh, well, you prayed for it, so it's on your heart, so you (laughs) must be part of the answer. Maybe you're the baker providing the bread rather than God dropping the manna out of the sky. And so, yeah, I had this resolution on my heart as a 21-year-old that I was going to return to Canada, find someone to marry, and we'd build a family through adopting orphans. And um, Victoria was a new place to me where we're situated for this conversation. Victoria was almost an unknown place to me. I'd only visited a few times for a day trip type of thing. But while I'd been away in Asia, my parents had moved to Victoria. Right. So I returned from a year away in the Philippines. I came to Victoria and I got home on a Saturday night to crash on my parents' couch. And on Sunday morning, the church I attended, I met the woman I married That was quick. It was really quick because there was 12 hours I'd been home and I'd been sleeping for at least eight of them with jet lag. (laughs) So (laughs) it was pretty shocking to meet someone right out the gate. Like I saw her and it was like, cue the symphony. This is it. (laughs) And yeah, we just passed our 29th anniversary. And um, it was our first conversation, not in the church building, but our first conversation where the two of us went out. And I think it was the following day. And it was just... I was 22 by this time. And I was like, I don't have time to waste. I've been struck by God. He's filled me with his spirit. He's given me this commitment. I'm challenged to affect the world with my life. And so my wife's name is Lori. My, my first comments to her were, I don't plan to date and not marry. Right. I plan to date someone who wants to adopt orphans. And so that's kind of the game I'm playing. And she was kind of like, Cool. Okay. I'm in. Like, it was kind of like we'd figured it all out in our first conversation and then we went and played tennis.
1: Wow. Yeah. What were some of the, uh, maybe challenges that you remember facing in that process of moving into adopting or adopting Mm. that, uh, that stick out to you?
2: Well, obviously the big question for us, not obviously, one of the big questions for us was where, where would we want to adopt, uh, kids from? And, Lori ended up early in our marriage studying at both Camosun College, a local college here, and at the University of Victoria, and she came home, remember these, a VHS tape? She came home with a VHS tape from the library, and it was like a documentary that had been done about an orphanage in Haiti. And the main message of the documentary was a lot of orphanages are run poorly. They often have corruption. There's a lot of bad things happening. But here's a model orphanage where it's done well. Mm. And they depicted this beautiful woman, Haitian-born, who'd founded a Haitian orphanage, and that she was, you know, above board, wouldn't take bribes, and was totally championing children who needed homes. And... Um, She was just a case in point of a wonderful person doing a wonderful ministry who happened to be a real passionate follower of Jesus as well. We sought out an adoptive network of people that had adopted from Haiti, and we very quickly found people who'd adopted from that orphanage. And so that's kind of what we pursued in all three cases of our adoptions. We adopted three kids over the series of our first years in marriage. Lots of paperwork and lots mm-hmm. of expense and lots of hoop jumping, but the result of it is that the three for three, we were able to fortunately uh, adopt first a son, then another son, and then a daughter who are now 25, 21, and 18, and um, and jump into parenting that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When, one of the things that's uh, just jumping out at me as we're talking is thinking back to this... Kind of conceptual moment that you described in the Philippines of seeing these children who are poor, and that led you into this adoption. But there's this other side that I think of when I look at you, and it's this this business we call level ground trading, that seems to be birthed out of that heart for justice, Mm -hmm. for where wherever injustice exists, wherever something's broken, you know, can we find ways to fix it? And you saw a need in this whole industry and so maybe we could talk a bit about that too like one some people listening might not even know what level ground trading is maybe tell us a little bit about what it is and then uh, and then how that encounter with the poor even back Mm -hmm. in your early 20s led you down that path of this business you're part of?
2: Well, when we were getting ready to adopt and early on in marriage, um, you know, studying the scriptures, and I was actually working as a pastor in a Chinese church at that season. I was studying and have always been fascinated with the prophets, both minor and major prophets. And there was a whole lot of teaching, obviously, in those Times about justice, and it was mm-hmm. often justice in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. On top of keeping the Sabbath and learning to rest and the rhythms of God's provision, it would often be having just scales, not selling the sweepings with the wheat, and not getting dishonest gain from other people's poverty. And you know, this this one proverb struck out to me particularly. Um, a poor man's field may produce an abundance of food, but injustice sweeps it away. Mm. The idea that a hardworking person, even with land, can be doing everything from a human perspective right, but the injustice of the system is against that person. Right. And they end up not getting what they truly deserve. That kind of t- twisting of the marketplace. And so it was in lori's and my early conversations getting into parenting we were like how do we do more how do mm. we respond in a bigger way to more of the issues that have our hearts and so how do you engage with more people it was like it's marketplace behavior these everyday habits of people purchasing things and transacting in the economy that could potentially it could be your habits that mm. you do things well that you do things thoughtfully that from god's economy you're looking at the person not just the product you're buying that you start seeing humans as integral to the economy rather than factories like just this inhuman robotic production Mm. and so we wanted to put faces and names to products that were everyday parts of our lives but usually were rendered anonymous yeah and so we had this idea And I just took the wording from John the Baptist's Isaiah prophecy being fulfilled, right? That you'd mow down the mountains, fill in the valleys and make level ground. John the Baptist was supposed to be the precursor to the Messiah. If he did his job right, which we know he did, people's hearts would be stirred and they'd respond well to the Messiah and the gospel. And so our goal was that whether we were talking with a farming community or a consuming community, kind of both ends of the economic spectrum, there'd be a living out of the gospel message in level ground that would say, we are for everyone in the economy and everyone should be thought of as made in God's image and treated with dignity, paid fairly, and everything now that would often be just considered corporate social responsibility. But 23 years ago, when we didn't have recycling or cell phones or email for communication, we also didn't think much about local economy, organic food, or sustainable agriculture or fair trade. This was all kind of new ground.
1: Even you start mentioning some of those things that it's, it sounds to me like the vision's evolved over the years. It sure has. It started with this level ground and fair trade and there's injustice in the marketplace, but it's gone beyond that because you guys talk a lot about environmental care and sustainability and all those, you know, they're, they're, they're really hot phrases for us nowadays, right? But it sounds to me like the vision of God actually has a way for mm-hmm. things to work right has been little by little affecting your life journey. You know the things you put your hands to, and it's it's just it's beautiful to watch as a, as a friend and as a person who gets to just see. Um, I don't even know if that's a question. That's just a, that's not really. It's it just a it, comment, ma- it but,
2: makes me get excited you know, about one of our four stated core yeah. values as a company is yeah. always improve. And often improvement, when we think of it at the January New Year's resolution level, is a bit overwhelming because it's a massive seismic shift that most of us can't sustain. But always improve is this notion of maybe a half percent or a one percent daily change, which everyone can sustain. And Mm -hmm. it takes you way further over a period of time because it can be sustained. Mm -hmm. And whether that's your running times on your morning jog, or it's eating healthier, or it's how you pay people who are currently not being paid a living wage, that gradual but persistent improvement is what creates the biggest, most beautiful events in history, I believe. I look at my life as three concentric circles. The center is my life purpose. And then out of that is the goals that I build on a yearly basis and spreadsheet in six categories. But then the outer circle is just the repeated actions The repeated actions bring you to my goals and my goals accomplish my life purpose. And so it's just like, how do I keep doing what I'm doing? Because I want to keep improving so that with fewer strokes, fewer steps, fewer words, more gets done. And that's really like honing your craft,
1: right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It reminds me of something we were chatting about before we hit record. And you said something to the effect of you've learned this thing in life that if you'll just take even the smallest step or motion forward in the direction you want to go, you'll be surprised Hmm. by what the result is. Can you tell us a bit about about your experience with that in life, Um, other thoughts or even a story that
2: comes to mind? I think of Eugene Peterson's book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That kind of speaks the whole theme. I think John Maxwell, the noted leadership leader, he talks about consistency compounds. So these investments that we understand in in the financial world, where interest (laughs) builds over time, you make good choices. And over time, the discipline of investing creates wealth. It's the same for any area of our life. And so, you know, how do you clean up the dishes after 20 people leave your party? It's one dish at a time, and it looks like a mess and you don't know where to start. And, And usually... That's why we go to bed and then wake up and face it in the morning. (laughs) 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 And and that's what I'm trying to learn how to do in my life is just the joy of starting. The joy of starting is super exciting because it shows that you've got sufficient faith and hope that you foresee an accomplished task that currently looks so unfinished. Mm. But I love the fact that in Hebrews 11, Abram set out on a journey, he had no clue where he was going, mm-hmm. right? Without mm-hmm. faith, it's impossible to please God. And it's like getting started is the faith yeah. journey. Yeah. And so whether it's I'm gonna start paperwork, but really the end of that paperwork is the adoption or I'm gonna raise funds to buy this product so I can start a business, or I'm gonna just get out the door this morning earlier and walk and pray with someone. It's, it's that getting started that becomes so satisfying in my life, because mm-hmm. it's the joy of having done what looks like in my space, obedience to what God's called me to.
1: When you mentioned that bit about Abraham in Hebrews 11, mm. yeah, he didn't know where he was going. All he knew was God said, go and I'll show you. And that that faith was potentially more about he trusted who was speaking to him. That's it. Than than no, needing to know the plan, and it gets me thinking. There must be moments in your journey of just taking steps forward where God has shown up for you in ways, shown you His faithfulness or whatever. Right? Who has Jesus been to you? I'm really struck.
2: By how God speaks to us when we quiet ourselves. And I feel the lesson I need to keep learning is that he's obviously never silent, but often <laughs> I'm so busy not listening, I don't hear. And I know that in one case, someone in our community was just n- noting the other day a significant event in their family and giving opportunity for others of us who love those people in that family to speak into it and just taking time and asking God what it is that he would want me to say. And the knowledge that immediately he speaks to me and gives me a word, there's nothing fresher and more beautiful than knowing that he still speaks today. Mm-hmm. I was just talking before coming here to to meet with you, Caleb, to our son who's got a significant event in his life today, our eldest who's 25, and the, the knowledge through the journey he's had, which has been a rough one, that he'd call me up and confide in me where he's at and the emotions he's experiencing, just the joy I have, not because he's in an easy place, but because we're in that place together, mm-hmm. just the joy I have as a dad to know that I get to be part of his journey and that God gives me a word to speak to him and gives me the choice to listen to him as well. I'm trying to be a listener. I love talking, (laughs) but how Jesus shows up to me these days that means the most is that he speaks. He's still talking, he's still got lots to say, and there's so many more edits that can be made in my life that are gonna improve my ability to live out the kingdom, live out his will, as more of me that looks like the old Adam is shed and more of him that's risen and living and powerful. It says in Second Peter, he's given us everything for life and godliness. I'm like, I want a piece of that action <laughs> and I need to be listening to him.
1: Yeah. That's so good. The, uh, the ever-present God who's oh, always speaking. So beautiful. That's really good. The thing that is triggering as you're talking about that is that, you know, I, I said something like this in the beginning, seeing in you someone who goes, hey, what am I going to do about this? Right? And it's similar. You can take that into your relationship with God when he starts to speak, right? Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? And what we can see when we're looking at your life is there's this business. It's a very like, in my view, successful business and making a difference and whatnot And I'd like to ask you, what would you say to somebody listening who's maybe sensing God speaking to them, calling them in a direction to something that maybe looks big to them right now? What encouragement would you have to them? For me, there's always more joy in running a hill
2: than a flat. They're both running, but they have quite different outcomes. My enthusiasm, if I get to be with that person who's got that big challenge. They might see it as a challenge in front of them. It's like, oh, this is worthy. This is worthy of your attention and your faith. You're probably going to be relying on God more than yourself. What a beautiful privilege. I, I use the term growth opportunity all the time when I've got these massive blind spots in my life or these massive weaknesses in my life. Growth opportunity and um opening yourself up to being vulnerable to ask others means you won't be relying on yourself alone you'll learn community and trusting in faith that God speaks words that create he's able to make something out of nothing this is the one you want to partner with on those opportunities
1: go for it Mm. I'm hearing like a big vision of God (laughs) it's like it's like he's when he speaks it happens he does right and so if he's speaking to us as people a dream or an idea there is there's something creative in that very word just uh, you know
2: to fill that in a little bit I do think that when I get to be like a business mentor to business school students, they often presume very wrongly that I knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. They knew that like, oh, you'll start the company and it'll grow to three dozen staff and you'll buy over a million pounds of coffee a year and you'll be, you know, revenues of millions of dollars, which by the way, aren't highly profitable, but they're doing what they were intended to do which is level the playing field economically and get money to the people who are part of the equation who often historically in coffee haven't been paid. Well, the awareness has been raised by many brands, many businesses, some of them stating outright their faith, others not, but man, when justice shows up, Jesus hands all over it, whether people are naming him or not. Yeah. And so no, there wasn't any awareness in my mind of what it would become but the knowledge that i was called to do it mm-hmm. that was the exciting
1: part and mm-hmm. still is that's the little sweet pocket in this conversation that's hitting me is is that sense of calling and big dream and an idea and not necessarily knowing the strategy and the game plan on the front end but that yes that says i'll i'll put my right foot in front of my left and now I'm going to put my left in front of my right, and, and God's going to show the way as you keep going. Mm-hmm. Because I think we can look at you sometimes. We can look at Stacy and think, oh, Stacy had the plan and the strategy, just like you said these business guys did, right? Nope, none of it. <laughs> and it's like, hold on, you didn't know you were going to pull that off, right? It was just, it's it's a real
2: faith journey. And realizing that all of us doesn't matter the size of our business, the size of our family, no one knows the struggles from the Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. that any one of us is having on the inside. And so, you know, isn't that something so beautiful about the cross that before Jesus we're all equal, Mm -hmm. no one's got any upper hand. Mm -hmm. We need grace, we need forgiveness, we need his life infusing us or we're lifeless. Mm -hmm. And there's something so beautiful. I find that in our own church community, I was wanting to mention, you know, a few of us said early in the year we were going to do two things. Once a month, the last Sunday of every month, we'd jump in a nearby lake and go swimming. So we started as like a polar bear swim the last days of December. We did it January, February, and so on. Now it's not a big thrill because it's, it's warming <laughs> up, right? But we also agreed that we were going to, as a group, chat every morning by 6, 6, 15, read the same chapter of, a, of the Bible and then message one another what was being spoken to us. Ooh, someone noted to me, it's the 139th day of the year yesterday, because they were reading a Psalm a day, and they were at Psalm 139. So I was like, so we started kind of at the beginning of the year. So we're 130 or so days in, and we've read so many little books of the Bible, a chapter at a time, and then shared our texts and and a little bit of what we're learning. The power of a community doing mm-hmm. that together, a few men in this case, just sharing, this is what Jesus is doing in my life this morning. Like Mm. today he's showing Mm. up and he's challenging me here. It's so amazing. And then someone else chimes in and we've had people leave the group chat who actually like said, I'm not going to follow Jesus in this season of my life Mm. and then rejoin the group chat after like grace showed up and they're like, Oh, I do need to be part of this community. And I'm like so enamored with how God does that in our lives. And the long game is always the right game. It's that, with the Lord a thousand years is like a day yeah. and he's being patient for a reason. <laughs> it's so that people, more people will come to salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There's, I, I had this question going in my head. I'll still ask it, even though I feel like, man, you just gave some answers <laughs> to it, but it was in this journey, what are some habits that you have learned? You know, whether you want to use the word habits or disciplines or routines, Um, whether they're little things, big things, Hmm. what are some habits that you have learned that help you stay in that posture of faith and that forward-moving? One of the ones I'm most
2: delighted in is one that was largely stimulated by your leadership and your teaching, Caleb. You talked years ago at Life Tree about the first words of the day in your life. You wanted to always be the words of God or of Jesus, the Scriptures speaking into you. Like, what a loss of opportunity to build on that thought, to say, what's Google going to show me, or what's YouTube going to flip, or what's the Facebook message post that's at the top of my page, but what's Jesus going to say, say to me as the first words? And so I love to bookend my day with the words of God written in the morning and the words of God in prayer at the end. That's been a powerful part of my life for quite a few years. And it might be a large amount or a small amount of Scripture reading, but to take time to journal and read, I try to have a running rotation of topics and people I pray for on a daily basis so that I've actually got a list, and I try to free-float it, but I also know that there's value in the discipline of, I'm going to pray for these people or these situations on a regular basis. An example would be prayer for brothers and sisters in the Church globally who are persecuted for their faith. There's so few ways living in Canada that I'm exposed to persecution for my faith, and yet I know all through the scriptures that persecution is amazing for the church to grow, and it's a sign of a healthy, vibrant church. It's like, I'm missing out on that if I'm not at least engaging in prayer. So I get this every Thursday email blast from an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, and then Friday's my day to pray for persecuted Christians, and it might be in China or in Pakistan or Nigeria, but that's part of what I'm trying to do. I try to take time to walk in with my dog and just tell God how amazing he is. Mm. I wanna spend time every day telling him how amazing he is and, and asking him what it is he's wanting to do. And it's so cool how he'll guide me to text a person or phone someone up or pray for someone or check in with another person. And it's brought me into crazy places with so many people, even this year, just that morning walk where I'm telling God how much I love him. And he's saying, you need to call this person Or encourage that person. It's like, ah, because that relationship is alive and it's vibrant in my life. And then it's getting to spill out into other people's lives. So it's really meaningful. Those are some of the things in the spiritual side of just, I'd call it just intimacy with God. And then, yeah, there's plenty of others related to like fitness and finances. And I actually, they're all F words, (laughs) all F words, (laughs) (laughs) friendships, you you know, and family and finance and faith and fitness and fun. Yeah.
1: It's good, man. One of the things jumping out listening to you is like just that exposure to what God's saying, you know, letting your heart feel that, whether that be through the word, whether that be through prayer, or even just some of the ideas that came to you over the years. Maybe as we, we start to close this, mm. I'd love if you could just pray a blessing over people who have been listening, however you feel led. I just want to offer, um, a thought and
2: a prayer for people that if you're in a space where it feels like it's silent, you just you're not sure how God's gonna break through. Or maybe you're waiting on someone else thinking they're gonna lead the way and it's not happening. I just want to pray that for you in your space you'd know that it's time. It's time for you to step forward. It doesn't mean you're physically pushing to the front, but but in faith and by the Holy Spirit's prompting, you know, it's time for you to have a voice and to speak life, to speak blessing over others, to know the goodness of God in a community where you are, whether it's an office setting, a neighborhood, your family, but that where you are, you get to be the salt, you get to be the light. You don't need to wait on anyone else. And there's this beautiful joy and equipping that God will give you to be his person in that space for this time, and to experience the joy of being salt and light, loving people so that they'll fall in love with Jesus the way you're falling in love with Jesus. May you be blessed and equipped to accomplish that and to see the ways for that to take place.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for sitting down and doing this conversation recording with us. It's been good. Thank you Caleb. Privilege,
0: man. Well, I'm definitely encouraged having listened to that. I think that on some level it can be intimidating to look at how much Stacy seems to have his life together. But what I took away was this this inspiration like one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah, I love
1: the part where he started making the comparison
0: with Abraham's call, not knowing where he was
1: going, uh, but yet following, and and very encouraged by that concept of just move forward mm-hmm. and watch how God starts to fill in the details and the contours and, and kind of give you strategy as you go versus just sitting there... Um, trying to pre-plan and analyze everything make right? it perfect yeah and uh and and like you say because sometimes when we do those of us who know stacy and hear the stories and look at what he's doing can think like oh my gosh like how could i ever do that but the reality is it's just this this simple posture of responding to the sense of call or the idea
0: you know mm-hmm. um, anything else jump out at you as you were listening uh again this is this feels like a very action-oriented conversation at the end of it it's not about what great ideas or thoughts i can stir up in my life it's what am i doing with my life and i i have actually felt a bit of conviction listening to his conversation listening to his story that there is so much that he's doing And, and i'm not settling into shame or into guilt or feeling bad about myself but really taking it as a sense of empowerment that, okay, you know what? I can uh, dive a little more into that area of my life. I can maybe schedule a morning hangout with a friend, even when it feels like that's so much more to do in my life, but one foot in front of the other. And to see the richness and the sense of fulfillment that he carries, the sense of passion, because he's, he's living his life. And that's how I want to be.
1: One of the uh, thoughts that comes to my mind as you're saying that was a phrase. I don't even know if it came up in our conversation. I think it was in Stacy and I dialoguing before we hit record, but it was this phrase, presumed responsibility. And, uh, and it's this idea that seeing a need in the world around us, having this sense of if I see it, I'm probably called to be a part of the solution somehow, you know? And I often think God's calling us through opening our eyes to those things. Uh, So as we think about that idea and this just simple thing of one foot in front of the other moving into that thing of calling, I'd love to just put the question out there to those of you listening. What is something that you sense God calling you to do? Whether that's a dream, an idea, a need, you see, and what is a step that you could take today to move in that direction not you have to have the whole plan figured out but Mm. just the simple thing what's a step you could take today toward that thing
0: Mm, that's good that's just such a basic but powerful question and as you guys just think through that what's that step you can take today we bless you with faith we bless you with courage to just put your foot in front of the other and see what god will do with that yeah So thank you guys for joining us on another episode of Everyday Impact and we bless you this week in all that you set your hand to. Have a great week.